Way back when, there used to be a distinct line between producers of culture and consumers. Somebody in a network or a production company made the TV shows, the movies, and the music, and then the average consumer, well, you bought a ticket or you bought the album. But digital technologies from Pro Tools to YouTube have made everyone into a producer. We live in a world of remixes and mashups and samples, taking other people's work, remaking it into something new. But the problem is remixing... But the problem is, remixing someone else's work without their permission might be a good way to get sued. A copyright infringement, perhaps. So when it comes to sampling, the law can be confusing. How much of a sound can you copyright? A musical phrase, a single note? And who owns those copyrights? And what about fair use? Well, that's what we'll be talking about the rest of the hour. But, but if you're not quite sure what sampling is, and I wasn't quite sure when I got into this piece myself, Flora Lichtman, our digital media editor, is here. She's going to straighten us out to help explain via our video pick of the week what sampling is. Welcome. Welcome. Hi, Ira. Thanks. Tell us about the sampling stuff. What uh, is that? So I didn't know what sampling was either, Ira. I have, to, I have to say, you know, I hear sample and I think cheese cube. But <laughs> Catherine Wells, science arts producer to the rescue this week, she interviewed a musician, DJ, and clothing designer, Aaron LaCrate, who was generous and non-judgmental <laughs> enough to introduce us to the concept of sampling, which is basically taking a snippet of a song and repurposing it. And for the purpose of this segment, we thought we'd do a little demonstration. So the, what we first have is this song, which is by James Brown, Funky Drummer. It's one of the most sampled songs in history. That drum beat that you hear is sampled all over the place. And so a musician would take that drum beat and and pick it out of the thing. And so let's let's hear then the sample from that song. <laughs> That's it. Just took it out. Just and, and now he's gonna it. take that and make something new with it. So the next step is taking the drum beat and then looping it. So here's a loop. Over and over, it's replaying. Oh, repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. And then that becomes the basis of a new piece of, a new song. Um, and so we have a musician sublime which has sampled the funky drummer beat and mm. then created their own new piece. So you can certainly hear the old drum beat. In. Should sound familiar. And they're actually playing Scarlet Begonias, which is a Grateful Dead cover, just to further complicate this, <laughs> this copyright So they sampled a whole bunch of different things and mixed them all together to create a new object, a new so, thing. That's right. And wow. one thing that we should note is that our video pick of the week, which goes through this even, even certainly Aaron LaCrate is a better expert than I am mm -hmm. on this. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't actually sample in his music because clearing these samples is a really complicated and expensive process. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to see how you, what it takes to actually create a sample and using new technology in, in the old times they, they show on the video pick of the week are using turntables. You don't need to use turntables anymore. Right? Yeah, but now it's it sort of can be completely digitized. And one other thing that we should give due credit to, the drummer Clyde Stubblefield is known as one of the most sampled artists. That's how he's referred to. He just is a he, he, the drum beats coming out of him are perfect for sampling apparently. And so he's like the 
granddaddy of all sample drum beats. Maybe. <laughs> all right. So there you have it. Thank you, Flora. Thanks, Eric. That's our video pick of the week. Coming a little earlier because uh, now we're going to talk about some of the issues that, that, that have to do with sampling. I'm Ira Flato. This is Science Friday from NPR. And as promised, here to talk more about the issues of sampling and copyright are my guests. Hank Shockley is a co-founder and producer of the legendary group Public Enemy and the president of Shockley Entertainment. Welcome to Science Friday. Oh, how are you, Harry? Nice, hey. nice to have you here. Thanks for coming in. Thank K- you. Kimberly McLeod is associate professor in the Department of Communication at the University of <laughs> Iowa. He's also the co-producer of the documentary Copyright Criminals and the co-author of the upcoming book, Creative License, The Law and Culture of Digital Sampling. Welcome uh, to Science Friday. Thanks for having me on. Welcome. Dean Garfield is the president and CEO, Information Technology Industry Council. He formerly worked as the executive vice president and chief strategic officer for the MPAA and vice president of legal affairs at the RIAA, where he focused on intellectual property and copyright issues. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hank, let's start with you. As, as producer for Public Enemy, you, you really treated sampling as collage, putting pieces together. How did you come up with this technique? Um, actually, it just came from my DJing and radio you know, experience. Um, and, it was, it, and it was actually another DJ that came, and he, mixed, he was mixing like four records together. And it, and it sounded like, to me, it sounded like a mess to everybody else. <laughs> but to me, I, I heard something that was, that was unique in it. And because all the different, you know, textures that's playing off of each other gave another rhythm. It created another sense of, of harmony. It created another sense of timing and different things. So it kind of like that, that, that aspect of it kind of like propelled me into wanting to do more of those things on, 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 on a commercial level, if you right. would. Right, and becoming more complex with the technique as you move along. Correct. Yeah. Kembrew, uh, 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 how important is sampling in pop culture today? Well, I think it's basically the central part of popular culture. If you think about social networking um, and the way that people interact with each other across great distances and uh, they, they collaborate with each other, you think about open source software, um, mm-hmm. the way that people collaboratively create stuff. They're essentially taking samples of computer code and, and remixing them. And the same is true with uh, music. I mean, I know 12-year-olds who make mashup videos on YouTube and upload them. It's just – it's uh, – almost part of the DNA of uh, not just youth culture, but just popular culture more generally. We're talking about sampling this hour on Science Friday from NPR. I'm Ira Plato here with a, a bunch of guests talking about it. And, and Dean, how, how does the recording industry see sampling as, as a big problem? Do they view it as you're, you're basically stealing somebody else's intellectual property, their musical property? Yeah, I would say probably you know 10 years ago that was the general perspective, but mm-hmm. They, like everyone else, have matured a lot. I, I don't work in the recording industry anymore. I now work for the tech sector, but I think there's been a certain maturation over the years and a recognition that consumer choice is at the center of anything and everything that they do. And so if consumers want content, music, that includes the kind of sampling uh, that you demonstrated before, that they should figure out a way to enable that. And I think more and more they're working at doing just that. Mm-hmm. 1-800-989-8255 is our number if you want to talk about sampling and the technology there. Also, you can tweet us at SciFry, at S-C-I-F-R-I. Uh, Hank, do you think there should be 
ways to compensate people for this? Or is a well, system I mean, set up? Or do you think this is just an art form? I think it's just an art form. And I, and I think that, you know, you have to understand, to me, the original copyrights were there to protect the entire embodiment of the recording itself. You know, not necessarily the little pieces that was coming from it. So thus, you know, as as we start to move more towards a, into the future and technology starts to increase, well, you know, now these these things have to now metamorphosize. That's the change. And the copyright laws has to now become updated to deal with the new landscape that we have. You know, you have kids that are listening to YouTube and you have kids that's, that are watching uh, DJs perform mm-hmm. and, and records are, are now more than it's 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 more it's more of an instrument for us right. as opposed to it being just you know a record just to be listening to. All right, we're going to talk a lot more about sampling. Our number one eight hundred nine eight nine eight two five five. And uh, what do you think? Do you think it's an art form? Do you think that the, there's a middle ground someplace between uh, using someone else's intellectual property or their music and and, and allowing artists to become new uh, to experiment with with new kinds of sounds? Tell us. 1-800-989-8255. You can tweet us at SciFry, at S-C-I-F-R-I. Stay with us. We'll be, right, we'll be right back after this break. I'm Ira Flato. This is Science Friday from NPR. You're listening to Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. We're talking this hour about digital sampling and copyright law with uh, Hank Shockley, co-founder and producer of Public Enemy and president of Shockley Entertainment. Kembrew McLeod, Associate Professor in the Department of Communication, University of Iowa, also the co-producer of the documentary Copyright Criminals. Dean Garfield is the President and CEO of the Information Technology Industry Council. Our number, 1-800-989-8255. Kembrew, in in Copyright Criminals, you asked the question, can you own a sound? Did you come up with an answer? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> courts have come up with uh, – some courts have come up with the answer with, in the affirmative. Um, there's a well-known case that's been really influential called the – referred to as the Bridgeport case, which uh, basically the court said more or less – and I think this is a direct quote – get a license or do not sample. And uh, even if you – it affirms that even one second of a sound recording – and we're talking about the sound recording, just the lifting the sample from another record – uh, that's an infringement. So, yeah, um, some courts have ruled that that is, in fact, the case. There is, of course, uh, in the United States, a kind of loophole called fair use, and that allows for quote, quoting from copyrighted works um, for purposes of criticism, commentary, and recontextualization, and that um, mm. is not considered an infringement. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Hank, do you think? Uh, do you think that these laws all have to be changed to allow for kids to be creative with these sampling. Oh, oh yes, I think that I think that everything should be fair use except for taking the entire record in and mass producing it for, and selling it yourself. Anything, mm-hmm. any anything that you take, if you take a chorus, if you take a, a, a the entire the intro from a record, eight bars or whatever it takes, I think that that. All that should be fair use. So describe what fair use is for people who don't know what well, that is. Well, fair use is just, just means that, that I can use anything that, that I want to use out there without having to pay for to get a license. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is an attempt to figure out what's fair, right. uh, as the name connotes. And so, you know, I, I think Hank's approach doesn't give enough credit to the work that the role that ideas and copyright play 
in really being the seed corn for innovation that improves people's lives in this country. Um, the concept that someone could, you could spend your entire career developing something, and because someone decides to take 75% of it instead of 100% means that you don't have a way uh, of being compensated, to me, simply sounds unfair. Could, could you not create a system, let's say, on iTunes, where you just have little bits of these snippets for sale, 99 cents, two ninety nine, whatever it is, and then there's every time someone takes a little bit of and makes a loop, they would get a little bit of dough out of that. What would be wrong with that? Hey. Well, actually, that, that is the case. So there are whole sample libraries that you can purchase. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the downside to that is the... The sample libraries typically are produced by, you know, session musicians creating, like, short snippets and stuff. And the stuff that people really want to sample is, uh, uh, for instance, Clyde Stubblefield's drum beats from the Funky Well, I understand that. I'm saying – I know, like, if I get get GarageBand from Apple – I can, yeah. There are all these free, you use them as much as you want, little riffs on there, or little samples. But why can't I get something, you know, from some of these popular tunes that are going to be sampled any way that kids want to do it? Why can't we find a way to put those up on iTunes or little bits of it somehow in, in a system there? Part of it is artis- artistic integrity. It's the reason you now have the Beatles on iTunes where previously you didn't. You know, they mm-hmm. made the determination at some point that it, was appropriate. And before then, they thought it wasn't. Um, And so as the person who spent the time developing the work, you should, I believe, have some control over how that work is used. You're right. There's a long tradition in copyright law. Uh, Just take the example of cover songs, where the songwriter, since 1909, has no right to prevent someone else from covering like, for instance, mm-hmm. the Beatles couldn't stop William Shatner from doing that god-awful cover of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Mm-hmm. So there, there's already precedents in copyright law where, um, you know, the quote-unquote artistic integrity doesn't trump uh, downstream uh, creativity. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, I think we need to find uh, a middle ground. I think we need to revisit, you know, what we did 100 years ago, what Congress did 100 years ago when they rethought copyright law and they enabled, they basically enabled the 20th century music industry to exist because the music industry was um, based largely on cover songs. And back then, before email faxes and stuff like that that make it even easier to negotiate contracts, Back then, you didn't have any of that stuff. And so basically what I'm getting at is the entire tradition of uh, cover songs would have been wiped out if 100 years ago um, Congress didn't have the foresight to to create a little bit more artistic elbow room. Hank, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, and keep in mind that the, 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 you know, Clive Stubberfield, you know, is not a copyright owner. Uh, James, (laughs) James Brown is not a copyright owner. Uh, George Clinton is not a copyright owner. The copyright owners are corporations, and most of the corporations that are are, are have affiliates with the record companies. So thus, so so when we talk about artists, you know that term is being used, but that but that's not really the case here. We're really talking about corporations. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Max in Denver. Hi, Max. Hey, how are you, Ira? Hi there. Uh, I just want to say I appreciate uh, your show, uh, Science Fridays, or one of my favorite shows. Thank you. Go, go um, ahead. But I just wanted to say that I think a lot of creativity gets stifled. I mean, you can look at um, basically the golden age of sampling during the 90s for hip-hop, and you just saw so much unique unique sounds coming out. And uh, I, that's when I started DJing. I've been doing it for 15 years. You can check me out at soundcloud.com slash DJ-equipped. 
But um, it's basically, you know, stifling a lot of the creativity because a lot of the people who get these samples and play them, a lot of people rediscover music from past genres by listening to these samples. And, you know, I think those corporations that are holding those copyrights hostage are missing out on a huge marketing opportunity, basically, because they're not going to, these people are now getting into these electric genres where people aren't able to listen to snippets and sound bites of old music where they're going to say, hey, where did that come from? Where did RZA get that sample from? Where did RJD2 get that sample from? And then rediscover past genres of music and buy those albums, because I know I did, through um, just sampling and through just being interested mm-hmm. in the music and trying to research it and find out how these sounds are put together. And I think that's one of the most lost aspects from the golden age of sampling that we have today with what you can call, I don't know, the timber, timberlandization of hip-hop where <laughs> we just have these big, huge uh, electric genres that are coming out and people are end up regurgitating riffs that were there from the 80s or whatever anyway. I mean, so, so, you're saying, so, so you're saying that we could resurrect people's careers... Who were out, and Hank agree with that? You were giving that, me a that, thumbs that up. That has happened uh, tons of times. I mean, look at Roger Troutman, for example. Roger Troutman's career wasn't going anywhere, and then all of a sudden, Dre decides to to sample him and on California Love, and 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 the, by him using the sample caused him to say, okay, I couldn't get the, the, the sound right, so let me go get Roger Troutman himself and come in here and actually mm-hmm. p- perform that live. Can, can, can you order up on the internet, can you order up a sample of anybody you want? Can you find, say, I need, I'd like to get a sample. Are there people who make you a sample? No. Something? No. no, you have to find the actual song. You have you so there's not there's not there aren't you can no find it. you can find it it's a matter of whether you can legitimately obtain it and I actually agree with Hank and I think Cambrew I don't I don't think anyone is well served by having these songs locked up in a in some locker somewhere that so that people can't discover them I think at bottom this comes down to how do you facilitate that consumer choice in a way that's fair you know that it benefits the artists and benefits consumers. One eight hundred nine eight nine eight two five five. Let's uh, let's see if we can get a couple of more calls in here uh, from our listeners. Let's go to Kyle in Grand Haven, Michigan. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Ira. Thanks for having me on. Hi there. I'm going to try to explain as best I can in short words. Uh, when speaking from a commercial standpoint here, as we're talking about music, uh, we're trying to copyright in a sense, uh, put a label on human emotion, taking away from its artistic value. I feel, at least. Okay. Uh, any any comment on that? What about um, what, what about if you treated uh, you you treated the sample as actually a pictorial as a, as a waveform? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Could, could you? That's what you're getting to. You, you, could you copyright the waveform? It's like trying to copyright yeah. emotion, like fear. Right. Or, or, or or better yet, you know, Gibson and and could could copyright the sound of their guitars. You know, Tamer or 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 can copyright the sounds of their drums. Right. I mean, so this thing could go on. Paul Ford could have made a killing on. <laughs> well, think exactly. about it. I mean, the, the I mean, when we uh, another thing that hasn't come up yet is yeah. the discussion of the public domain, and the public domain is that which isn't copyrighted, usually because it's um, either never was copyrighted or um, Congress sets limits on the amount of time that something can be copyrighted. Well, Congress keeps extending the length of copyright. Well, anyway, um, th- so basically, the only stuff that we can sample is anything pre nineteen twenty. If you're safe, and who's going to want to sample that? I mean, someone who's really creative could do something interesting with that. But the stuff that really resonates with people um, is more contemporary. I'm but anyway, a, I'm seeing yeah. a Rudy Valley moment here. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's that's definitely not pre-23 though. <laughs> but but uh, going back to like the idea of copywriting a. Uh, uh, 
a, a sound or whatever. Like, think about the public domain. Like, whenever and, – and oh, no, sorry. Going back to Ford, you know, he could have made a killing, you said. Well, mm. yeah, every time we step in our cars, we go on a ride in the public domain because everything in our cars, um, you know, is built on previous – Ingenuity, and mm. and at one point in time, uh, it was released so that anyone can can use it. So that that's another dimension that sure. I wanted to introduce. And, and keep in mind, if I bought that Ford car, I could take the carburetor out and resell it, and and that's quite okay, you know. But in, mm-hmm. in, but I bought a record, I own the record, and I can't take a piece of it and sample it and use it for my own record for whatever purpose, whether it's commercial or non-commercial. Mm-hmm. That, that's I mean, why I think, I think that's I why think, I think everything. I think the metaphor though is if you bought a CD you could sell that CD right but you couldn't then sell the patent behind the the carburetor of the car sure. which is which is yeah. the the parallel concept here well and, but but if you you kept no, it's, how how does how, how does that happen explain explain that please well the, the idea is you can sell the objective manifestation like the CD but the actual creative work Someone invested time and energy in that, and so you can't just take that and sell that. Well, the the word sell is a, an interesting point here because what if you're just a kid who wants to just sample as a hobby and you have no intention of making yeah. any money from this? You just, you know, you're going to listen to it by yourself, maybe show it to your friends. You're not putting it out on iTunes or something like that to sell it. Yeah. Is well, there that a would difference? be fair use. Yeah. That, that is a difference. If we're talking mm-hmm. about private use, that's clearly a fair use. But then when that kid wants to put it up on YouTube or SoundCloud or whatever, um, no. uh, then uh, they're making multiple copies and uh, they're potentially liable for hundreds of thousands of dollars in damages. We're talking about simple s- as that. Talking about sampling this hour on Science Friday from NPR. And, and I know, Hank, you've, been, you've had uh, experience of being sued over sampling, right? Well, everybody who's made rap records has. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you're still sitting here and, and still advocating for more of it. Of course. I mean, and, and you know, I've been sampled as well, you know. And, and then it becomes a situation when, when you sample a record and you put a new record out and then, and then someone samples that record. You know, now, now who, who do we go to? You know, are we going to the, the, the person who sampled the record or we have to we have to go to the owner of that particular record? So how do you feel about being sampled? Well, I, I think it's great because I think anything that moves the, 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 the that moves the, the, the anything forward to me is great. You know, it's it's like if the kids are doing it and, and that makes me relevant again because mm-hmm. their their use of it is going to be different than the way I originally had, had recorded this particular record. Let's go to Hunter in Jacksonville, Florida. Hi Hunter. Hey, good afternoon guys. Hi there. Um, I just had two uh, points on sampling. One was, um, you know, when I when like Nelly and Ludacris come out with uh, "Shake Your Tail Feather," and it's direct sampling from the '70s song. I think that they lack uh, originality. They're lacking creativity, and that that harms it because they're just reproducing something that was popular without any real input. Um, the other comment is that what, what the gentleman was just saying. Uh, it, it's an evolution, and you know, uh, in rap, especially, I think hip hop is a more modern form of blues. And uh, you know, blues was based on uh, an evolution of field calling, and uh, there's been an evolution throughout time. And and people are gonna sample from the, uh, the the period just before that, and that's how things evolve. And I think that's a natural progression to want to pull those sounds with you into the future mm-hmm. as you evolve. So uh, yeah, I'll let take me... my answer off the air. Thank, Thank you, you Hunter. 
Yeah, can I quickly address sure. what he just said? So, yeah, he was referring to just taking an old course and looping it, and that's not very original. And, you know, I would agree with that. That's not a very interesting use of sampling, in my opinion. And what was really interesting is what groups like De La Soul and Public Enemy did 20 years ago, back when they were flying under the radar and, and major labels weren't paying attention to this new art form of sampling. And so uh, Public Enemy would build songs out of dozens of little sn snippets. And returning to what I said some earlier, where just even today, just a brief one-second soundbite is considered an infringement, it made the more interesting, collage-heavy, you know, mind-blowing stuff illegal. Or if not illegal, it made it administratively impossible to clear all these dozens, if not hundreds, of different samples that appeared on those records. And it basically wiped out a... a, a yeah, it, it, it put a stop to one branch of hip-hop's evolution, and I think that's sad. Well, let me... In the minute I have left here, is there a high-tech solution to this? If we can, if sampling is a high tech way of doing things, is there some way to create a system that's equitable to everybody? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think there is. I, I mean, the companies I represent today are the companies who developed this technology that enabled this stuff, right? As opposed to what I did ten years ago. And for me, I think a part of it is persuading the record companies to enable this kind of consumer choice by creating the kinds of database. Um, so that it's easy to gain access to the kinds of sample that you want, you know, rather than uh, having them locked up somewhere and not being able to evolve and grow and giving consumers what they want over time. All right. I think that you have the last word. I want to thank all of you gentlemen for joining us. Uh, Hank Shockley, co-founder and producer of the group Public Enemy and president of Shockley Entertainment. Thank you, Hank, for being here today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Kimbrew McLeod, associate professor in the Department of Communication, University of Iowa, also co-producer of the documentary Copyright Criminals. Available to be seen everywhere, Camber? Uh Yep, uh -huh. even on Hulu. There you go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's not being sampled. Dean Garfield, president and CEO of the Information Technology Industry Council, thank you also for taking time to be with us today. Oh, thank you. Right, Have a good it. weekend, everybody. Greg Smith composed our theme music, and we had help today from NPR librarian Kim Molesky. If you missed any part of our program, go over to our website at sciencefriday.com where we're podcasting all and uh, Twittering, tweeting all week. You can tweet us at SciFry. Also, we have uh, iPhone and Android apps. You can take us along and uh, listen and watch the video that's up there this week. We have a special video up there that uh, was produced to explain what sampling is. If you want to see it, it's a great video to uh, take along with you and show other folks how sampling is done and uh, what you can actually do with it. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. I'm Ira Flato in New York.